101 with Bob McCormick, featuring the Wall Street Journal, the place to manage your money and your life. And now, here's Bob McCormick. Good morning, Ron Kilgore sitting in for Bob McCormick. Hey, it's Friday. Going to the beach this weekend. Might want to think about a few things uh, toward the future that might be of import to us. Maybe not us, but maybe our children's children, as we are being told that climate changes could be leading to potentially devastating consequences in terms of sea level rises along our coastline. In fact, Quoting from the Aquarium of the Pacific's webpage on its new Ocean Science Center, scientists estimate sea levels could be rising more than three feet by the end of the century in California. That could mean the flooding of San Francisco International Airport, the ports of Los Angeles and Long Beach, and much of the commercial and residential property along the coastline. In fact, my first guest is Dr. Jerry Schubel, who is the president and CEO of the Aquarium of the Pacific since 2002. He was the chair for the local sea level rise and initiative committee workshop for NOAA and U.S. Geological Survey. He currently serves on the NOAA Science Advisory Board, consulting on various key issues and sea level rise, and recently chaired the sea level rise and coastal flooding workshop through the Aquarium of the Pacific Aquatic Academy. And Dr. Schubel, good morning. Good to have you. Good morning. It's good to be with you. You were once quoted as saying that aquariums are the only opportunity where many millions of people in the U.S. and around the world would observe marine life and natural habitats and make connections with it intellectually and emotionally. And, of course, your new exhibits certainly do bear that out, and I mean the pun. Well, thank you. Yes, I think aquariums uh, are a place where people who love the ocean can get connected with marine life and with all of the issues facing our oceans. How do we get to the point where we're suddenly aware that climate is uh, becoming a potentially major threat, in fact, in some ways already is? Are we just now finding this out, or has it been happening and people just don't realize it yet? No, it's been happening for quite some time, uh, for a couple of hundred years at least, and I think it's just becoming something that we, we're beginning to pay attention to. And sea level rise is one of the effects that will have the greatest impact on human beings, not on marine life, but on human beings. Are we already seeing some impact? Yes. If you look along the California coast, for example, sea level has gone up about eight inches in the last century. And uh, while it's true that over the last couple of decades it hasn't changed very much because of what's called the, the North Pacific Decadal Oscillation, all of the predictions are that it will continue to go up. The scientific data on global sea level rise are very clear. The direction is up. It's accelerating in terms of how fast it's going up, and it's, uh, we're going to see a sea level rise of three to five feet before the end of this century. So why is this happening? Well, it's happening for two reasons. First of all, whenever you warm a fluid, it expands. We're warming the ocean, so it expands. And as the earth warms, we're adding new water to the ocean from the melting of, of mountain glaciers and also now from Greenland and from the West Antarctic Ice Sheet. So expansion plus new water. I know that from your recent news conference you have when you open the new exhibits, uh, I talked to a, a port commissioner for the uh, port of uh, Long Beach, and he told me that we, maybe we're talking, what, 20 years down the line, maybe more, but it is something that's of great concern already to the port's complex because we're talking about uh, half of the nation's goods and services that are done by sea coming through these two ports, and they're already looking at the possibility that someday they're going to have to take some action. No, that's exactly right. And I think with the ports, they're a good example of we're not going to move those ports, so we're going to have to figure out some way to protect them. And there will be other areas along the coast, uh, major cities, major, in major infrastructure projects that we will simply have to protect by building seawalls or having levees, 
But there are going to be other areas where we just can't afford to protect the coast, and we're going to have to think about strategic retreat. I think for most people, it's kind of tough to relate to the entire idea because it's sort of like out of sight, out of mind. I didn't notice the sea rising eight inches, and uh, when I go to the beach, I don't know if anything's different from all the times I've gone before. So what are you doing to tell people to kind of educate them without ramming it down their throat, so to speak? Right, and that's a good point because it has been quite gradual, and so on timescales of a few years or even a decade, the amount of, of rise is not very great. So what we try to do is put this in perspective, and it's not just the slow, inexorable rise of sea level, it's the storm surges superimposed upon that that will get us first. And so we're, we're trying to develop ways of u- using art, simulations, and so on, so that if you look downstream and you ask yourself, what is it going to be like for my children and my grandchildren, that we hope will capture their attention. So looking down the road, are we likely to see some uh, major changes in the way that the current models are are set up within the next 20 years, perhaps? Now, when you say the current models, I'm not sure what you mean. The current uh, projections, uh, I mean, I've seen several satellite projections that say that we could have uh, as many as 3 to 5 feet in the next 20 to 50 to to even 100 years. I mean, how fast is this happening? Well, I think that, uh, if anything, I think the models will show an increase because there was a recent meeting and they've got, it, it was uh, scientists in the Arctic and they went back and they revised all of their estimates upward. So any revisions are likely to be upward rather than, than downward. And so when you look at, when you think about risk, risk is normally thought of as the likelihood of something happening multiplied by the impact. The likelihood of this happening is as close to certainty as things get, and the impact is going to be huge. So therefore, the risk is very high, and we need to be looking systematically at how we can deal with that risk. And there are two basic strategies. First of all, you want to reduce the amount that sea level will rise. That's called mitigation, and the only way you do that is by reducing the amount of CO2 we add to the atmosphere. But since we know it's going to rise, we also have to adapt, and both of those are key. And I guess the way that you get uh, people to listen, especially cities along the coastline and companies doing business that uh, involve the coastline, is if you talk about the potential, uh, potential rather financial impact, which I guess would be rather severe. Yes, no, that's exactly right. And there's a, a wonderful study that was completed by the Pacific Institute and they looked at how much the property loss would be for a five-foot rise, three-foot three rise of sea level, and superimposed upon that a hundred-year storm, and they came up with a figure of a hundred billion dollars in two thousand dollars. Two-thirds of that would be in San Francisco Bay, the other third of that would be along the open coast, and half of that would be in Orange County. So that that the impacts, the financial impacts, could be huge. So we're talking about the cities that are right along the coastline there, Costa Mesa, and, of course, uh, not far away from Newport Beach and all those other areas. And I would imagine the waves down, uh, the, the big popular waves down in the wedge in Newport Beach would be considerable at that point. Yes, that's right. So the higher the sea becomes, even when it only gets six inches or a foot higher, you superimpose those waves and storm surges on top of a higher sea and they do even more damage. I saw a recent map of all the potentially uh, impacted, heavily impacted areas, of course, all the coastlines in the United States and uh, several other places as well. I've seen headlines from Australia where there's already a lot of concern about that, and even in Vietnam where they're talking about entire coastal areas and villages getting wiped out. Yeah, that's right. If you look around the world, 
the areas that will be impacted the most are those that have large deltas. So if, if you look in Vietnam, you look in Bangladesh, the Gulf of Mexico, all of the areas that have large deltas because those are low-lying areas and with large populations near the coast. So the damage there will be the greatest. I'm curious about Catalina. Any projections on what would happen to Catalina? Well, I think some of the, the, the low-lying villages, uh, the, the two, Avalon and uh, two harbors, would certainly be impacted. Catalina has pretty high relief, so I think overall the damage would not be terribly great. The, uh, it's interesting, though, if, uh, when the OECD, Organization for the Economic Development, uh, uh, they, they did an analysis and identified the 10 cities in the world that would be impacted the most. Five of the 10 are in the U.S. We'll come right back and talk about climate changes, how it's going to affect us, our coastline, and our economy. And it's uh, already happening in, in several areas that we just haven't uh, seen it specifically yet. A lot of us haven't noticed it. More on that coming up as we continue right here on Money 101 on KFWB News Talk 980. 26 miles across the sea, Santa Catalina is awaiting for me. This is Money 101 with Bob McCormick, featuring the Wall Street Journal. Ron Kilgore sitting in for Bob McCormick this morning. Our, our topic this hour is on sea level rise. The tide is high, Chris. It's also... Again, swamping uh, Wall Street this morning. Dan Loney at the Wall Street Journal. Another rough day for Wall Street. Yeah, that tide looks a little red right now because there's, again, another day of red ink out there on the markets right now. Right at the moment, we've got the Dow Jones Industrial Average down 58 points at 12,190. The NASDAQ is off 18. The S&P 500 down 6. That's actually a lot better than what it was maybe about an hour or an hour and a half ago when the Dow Jones Industrial Average was down more than 140 points. There was a little bit of a benefit from a better-than-expected report on uh, non-manufacturing uh, production from the Institute of Supply Management. That paired about half of the gains, and uh, but it looks like Wall Street's going to finish the week in the red. Of course, uh, Wall Street this morning is kind of bummed out by the May jobs report, and it's pretty obvious it's searching for any good news anywhere it can find it. They, they didn't get it there. No, they really didn't. Just 54,000 new workers hired in the month of May, well below the projections from uh, earlier in the week. Economists were looking for gains of about 150 to 160,000, and that news also sent the unemployment rate up uh, a bit to 9.1%. Private hiring rose by 83,000, but that was only about half of the expectations, and all these numbers just reinforcing the weakness of the economy right now uh, on top of the weak data that we saw earlier in the week. And a, a warning from Moody's about that whole debt ceiling issue. Yeah, Moody's is really concerned uh, with where the uh, deficit is going right now. And they say they're going to potentially review the government's top-notch debt rating for a possible downgrade if there's no progress towards a deal to increase the federal borrowing limit and to cut deficit deficits. The Treasury Department projects it would begin defaulting on obligations as soon as August 2nd without a debt limit increase. Many traders are dismissing the idea politicians would risk a default, and the Treasury market has, for the most part, shrugged off the talk so far. Standard & Poor's changed its outlook on Treasuries a couple of months ago to negative because of concerns about the deficit. 
And I don't think he drives one, but the president is high on Chrysler today. Very high, because uh, Fiat is going to move ahead and purchase another 6% of the automaker. Uh, that deal for $500 million. That will give Fiat 52% and controlling interest in Chrysler. Uh, they have told the government will walk away with a $560 million. The Treasury is also hoping to sell more of its remaining 26.5% stake in GM later in the summer. That stake owned by the United Auto Workers Health Trust, Healthcare Trust Fund. And we're talking about gasoline prices, five bucks a gallon. Of course, here on the West Coast, you're going to add another dollar to that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And the concern uh, really is where gas prices are going to go over the next few years. And uh, Mark Royce, who is the North American president of General Motors, said uh, in a meeting earlier today with the Wall Street Journal that he could see gas prices going as high as $5 a gallon sometimes in the next year. That's the average price of five dollars a gallon and as you mentioned there are some areas that are already seeing five dollars a gallon right now uh, that's going to be a big concern and something to watch for over the next couple of years at least gasoline prices per crude oil is down today i know it's because of the economic news exactly crude oil right now off about 50 cents a barrel it's been flirting with that hundred dollar a barrel plateau for the last couple of weeks right now uh, but the drops today have it under a hundred dollars a barrel right now at 99.89 although it could tick back up over 100 at a moment's notice. All right, the bubble debate continues over these Internet uh, operations. Uh, Groupon, though, going public. We'll see what happens there. This is going to be really one to watch. It could be one of the biggest of all time. It could value the company as much as $20 billion. Groupon only two and a half years old and obviously has just exploded in growth, offering daily deals from local merchants to consumers. You may remember that Google made a $6 billion offer for uh, Groupon earlier, but were dispatched on that possibility. Uh, it just continues to grow and grow and grow. Groupon, since it was uh, brought onto the scene, has grown by more than 19,000%. You think about the growth of that right there, and that's one of the reasons why that $20 billion figure is being thrown around. We're talking to Dan Loney, the Wall Street Journal. Of course, Dan, the real story today, this is National Donut Day. It is, and, and it was something that was first observed back in 1938 by the Chicago Salvation Army to honor women who used to serve donuts to soldiers during World War I. Uh, it always happens on the first Friday of June, and obviously a lot of the chains uh, are, are getting on board. I have to say, I have had my donut today, so I am in good shape. Very good, sir. And I want to mention that back in 1949, the uh, radio show Dragnet debuted. So I guess that's befitting cops and robbers and donuts. And one right. of the great theme songs of all time. To enforce the law, to enforce the law. Remember that one, the retake in 1987, the movie that came out was uh, something of a parody. But uh, Jack Webb started it all back in 49. Dan, have a great weekend. Good talking Thank, to you. Thanks, Ron. You too. And bring up the, the uh, street, will you please, while you're at it. Bring up the Wall Street uh, numbers today, although there is a bit of improvement. It's down only 58 at one point. It was down nearly 100. We're continuing our conversation now about uh, climate changes, rising sea levels. It is a, a tough subject because we most of us don't even notice it yet, but it has already changed. As we're talking with our guest, Dr. Jerry Schubel, who's the president and CEO at the Aquarium of the Pacific in Long Beach. Uh, Jerry, talk about the two exhibits that you've just opened up a bit. Okay, but I haven't had my donut yet, Ron. <laughs> All right. All right, we've just opened two new exhibits this past Saturday. One is called uh, Ocean Science Center, Science on a Sphere, and it uses a, a technology that was invented by NOAA. It's a six-foot diameter sphere, and you can project images onto the sphere in real time, or you can, you can take data sets and tell stories. 
So, for example, with the recent tornadoes in Missouri, we were able to project those onto the screen and, and explain to our visitors what was happening there. The other exhibit is called Arctic and Antarctic, Our Polar Regions in Peril. And it's the story of what's happening to the two polar regions of the Earth and how they're being affected by climate change. They always, particularly the Arctic, respond first to climate change, and the effects are magnified there, and then they cascade across the Earth. So we're using both of these as part of this awareness raising about sea level rise and what it could mean to our state. Because as you know, we've got a lot of coastline, over a thousand miles of open ocean coastline, thousand miles of coastline almost in bays and harbors, and many of these areas are at risk. And while California has long been a leader in reducing greenhouse gas emissions and in enunciating policies, we have not really done enough to help local communities deal with rising sea level. And that's what we need to focus on. The aquarium, of course, is a major draw in Southern California. It's considered a major attraction. How do you balance the uh, the given that you have to entertain the public and yet you're going to educate them at the same time? Isn't that kind of a delicate balance without uh, getting sort of uh, making them come away thinking they've had a science lesson? Well, yes, it is. And, and I think... Uh, we have to they don't come to the aquarium to get educated so what we they come to be entertained and have fun and what we try to do is create entertaining exhibits and then while they're enjoying themselves we snooker them into learning important things about the environment and it seems to work and you have games and a, was it is a 7 foot polar bear yes it's a tall guy not a real polar bear but the 7 foot uh, polar bear suit that we have one of our taller people is inside of i've i've seen it it's a a very, very tall a polar bear that kind of gives a uh, sort of serves as the image for it. Are polar bears endangered? Yes, they are, they, and they're now they are now listed because they require the ice. Uh, and uh, if you look at recent data sets for the Arctic, we are losing. We've lost about 50 percent of the summer ice, both in aerial extent and in thickness. And and so there's a great deal of concern about what we're going to do to the Arctic ecosystem. Now there are some advantages. Uh, by losing some of the, the summer ice. We'll have a, a northwest passage uh, that will be ice-free probably by the middle of this, this century, so it changes shipping dynamics, and it also opens up, it, make it, it makes it easier to exploit the considerable resources in, in the Arctic, oil, gas, uh, other natural resources. And then the, the challenge becomes how do you balance that with protecting the largest uninterrupted ecosystem on Earth. Welcome back and talk more with my guest, Dr. Derry Schubel at the Aquarium of the Pacific and have be joined by some other experts as well as we talk about uh, sea level rises, the potential uh, not uh, devastating impact just on people living in sea life, but on the economy as well. We'll talk about that more coming back and take your phone calls as well. More coming up on Money 101 right here on KFWB News Talk 980. You're listening to Money 101 with Bob McCormick, featuring the Wall Street Journal. 
Ron Kilgore sitting in for Bob McCormick on this Friday. Rip from the headlines, Australian sea levels to rise by three feet unless climate change is halted. Sea levels will rise by more than three feet by the end of the century, making severe coastal flooding a common factor of life in Australia. If urgent action, action rather is not taken to limit climate change, that's according to a key report quoted by a panel of climate scientists. Millions along the Mekong could be affected for centuries. Residents around a city in southern Vietnam of more than a million people, which is just above sea level, have depended on flood cycles to grow crops. But it says experts are warning there's a possibility that sea levels will rise in the delta around the city due to climate change, causing devastating floods that will displace millions and destroy those crops. Now, some of the headlines this morning that we're reading from all over the world because climate change obviously has been in the news a lot, but sea level rise just making its case uh, in recent years as far as the average public is concerned. Once again, we're joined by Dr. Jerry Schubel, who is the president and CEO uh, at uh, the Aquarium of the Pacific uh, in Long Beach. And uh, Dr. Schubel, this is something that's uh, been a major topic for you going back several years. In fact, when it seemed like mainstream science was kind of pointing to maybe things might be improving over the years, you've kind of stuck to your guns that we are in for some real devastating consequences if we don't watch it. Yeah, No, that's true. I have been teaching courses on climate change for the last 25 years, and I studied it in, in Chesapeake Bay, Long Island Sound, Boston Harbor, along the, the coast of the northeast U.S., and now here in California. And the signs are all very clear that the sea level has been rising for the, the last 18,000 years. It, it slowed down, but in the last uh, few hundreds of years, it has accelerated, and it's being driven now by human-induced climate change. Okay, Jerry, stay with me. Let's bring in uh, now Professor uh, Rob Young, a professor of geosciences at Western Carolina University. He is the director of the program for the study of developed shorelines, a joint venture with Duke University, also professor of coastal geology at Western Carolina University, and he joins us now. And, uh, professor, tell us a bit about what your studies are finding. Well, uh, we are trying to take a look at what sea level rise is doing right now uh, rather than uh, focusing on projections of the next 100 years. Um, You know, this is a tricky issue, and there's a significant portion of the United States that wants to believe that climate change isn't real and that rising sea level isn't real. And I think in order to bring home an issue like this, to, to regular folks, we need to be able to give them very concrete examples of how sea level rise is impacting things today, not 100 years from now. Uh, for example, in eastern North Carolina, the tobacco fields are not draining as quickly as they used to 20 or 30 years ago, and folks are planting about three to four weeks later than they used to. And this is because of rising sea level backing up the plumbing on the very low elevation coastal plain of eastern North Carolina. Uh, the city of Charleston, South Carolina, their stormwater runoff system, which is gravity-fed, uh, it has to run downhill into the ocean, uh, is backing up uh, during spring tides and during high water events. And the city is going to have to invest a significant amount of money into uh, reconfiguring their stormwater runoff system. Uh, you know, you have groundwater salinization in places like Virginia Beach, Virginia, and in Dade County, Florida. So it's, it's, it's important to emphasize to the general public that sea level rise is something that is having an impact today. And uh, we don't just have to rely on, you know, disaster scenarios for what will happen in the future. Um, to in order to understand that we're going to need to do something about sea level rise immediately. Are we also seeing uh, shoreline erosion from the rising sea levels? Uh, 
Absolutely. I mean, there are a variety of different causes for shoreline erosion. Some shorelines are eroding because humans have interfered with sediment transport by building jetties or groins or seawalls. Um, but in general, uh, shorelines that aren't being impacted by uh, by human interference through coastal engineering are also experiencing retreat and erosion because the global ocean is increasing in volume and sea level is rising, and it has been for more than 100 years. And, uh, you know, the the lesson for this is that these erosion problems are not going to go away because sea level is going to continue to rise. It's going to continue to rise at an accelerating rate. So any coastal erosion problems that communities are dealing with today are not going to get better. They're only going to get worse. And that's also an important message to send out to those who need to, who are managing this nation's shorelines. Of the areas that you have studied, Professor, are you what, what, what's been the reaction in those areas of people who live there and officials there? Were they caught by surprise when this is happening? Because it does happen over time. You know, I think people have understood for a long time that, at least folks who live on the coast, uh, that uh, shorelines are eroding. <laughs> and they, they may have not thought in detail about the cause behind that shoreline erosion, um, but, you know, the fact that there's change at the coast is not something that's surprising or novel to, to folks who live there. The, the hurdle that we have to get over is that, um, you know, there's a lot of short-term money to be made in the development of this nation's shorelines, because quite a, a bit of that development um, is in uh, resort communities, and uh, you know a lot of the money is made through real estate transactions and and uh, vacation home rentals and hotels and condos and things like that. And the the answers to long term sea level rise are require long term solutions and decadal scale planning. And when there's a lot of short term money to be made, it's very difficult to get past. Um, the profits for next year to make big-time decisions for what we're going to do in a community 20 or 30 years down the road. And you mentioned it's tough to uh, regular folks. They, they can't really see it as it happens. It's kind of uh, tough. They've got to be educated. Let's bring in Dr. Schubel again from the Aquarium of the Pacific. Jerry, what kind of reaction do you get? I know that we mentioned that the ports are very concerned about what could be happening down the road here and what, about a bit of what's already happening. But uh, do you think the word is getting out to people who develop the coastline here? They're going to realize that what you're putting in today may not be here tomorrow. Well, I think in some communities, Ventura, for example, it certainly is. I think uh, Rob makes a very good point. If you're a coastal plan planner or a city manager or a council member, 100 years or even 50 years doesn't make much sense to you. We've got to begin to look at 5, 10, 15, 20 years, how it will change, and we need to begin to give these people the tools, decision support tools that will help them make plans for, to make their communities more resilient with this rise in sea level. And I think another point that Rob made is, is very, a very good one. If we cut off all further emissions of greenhouse gases tomorrow, sea level would continue to rise for a century or more. So it's, it's something that we need to deal with, and the local communities are the places where the zoning decisions are made, and I think they need some help, though. They need some help from the state and the federal government, both in terms of financial support and in decision support tools, the right kinds of data, maps, things that will help them make the case to their constituents so their constituents will support these moves, which are disruptive. 
you know, the, the hardest part of all of this, I think, is disconnecting the reality that sea level is rising and increasing erosion at the coast from the incredibly heated political environment within which we talk about global climate change. Uh, you know, global climate change, unfortunately, has become an incredibly politicized discussion. And there are places in the country where they re- they just say, let's forget climate change. Let's just talk about sea level rise. Yeah, we need the money. we got a budget trouble anyway, folks. Let's go for the here and now. That's the feeling, I think. And the fact of the matter is, you know, sea level rise, at least from my perspective, is the most logical place to start the discussion about the impacts of global climate change. Because... You, you may be able to argue about the degree to which humans are causing global warming, but you cannot argue about the fact that sea level is rising. We've been measuring it via tide gauges for more than 100 years. We're now measuring it via satellite. This is happening. So if we can just uh, you know, go to the coast and disconnect the discussion of at least adapting to rising sea level, which we're going to have to do no matter who's causing global warming, then you know maybe we can do a better job of depoliticizing the larger discussion and get coastal communities and politicians and managers to admit that this is a this is something that they're going to have to deal with, and then we can start to discuss how we're going to do that. And right. given the fact that in California we have so much at risk, we ought to be a leader. We also have the longest time series tidal gauge, tide gauge uh, in the United States off of the Golden Gate Bridge. All right, we'll take a break and come right back with my guest, uh, Professor Rob Young, Professor of Geosciences at Western Carolina University, and Jerry Schubel at the Aquarium of the Pacific in Long Beach on Money 101. Talking about the rising tide, it will affect the economy on KFWB News Talk 980. with Bob McCormick, featuring the Wall Street Journal. Ron Kilgore sitting in for Bob McCormick. Malcolm Bowman, who's an oceanography professor from Stony Brook University in Long Island, quoted as saying, sea level rise may force New Yorkers to pull back from vulnerable neighborhoods. We will have to densify the high-lying areas and use the low-lying areas as parks and buffer zones. In this scenario, New York in 200 years looks like Venice. Concentration of greenhouse gases in the atmosphere have melted ice sheets in Greenland and Antarctica and raised the local sea level by 6 to 8 inches. Inundating storms at certain times of the year swell the harbor until it spills into the streets. Dozens of skyscrapers in lower Manhattan have been sealed at the base and entrances added to the higher floors. The predictions are all over the world of rising sea levels, of course, which would have a severe impact potentially here along the West Coast, we are told by scientists, unless we start planning for the potential Occurrings now, as we've been told by scientists, uh, they're already are experiencing sea level rises here. And once again, we call on Dr. Jerry Schubel, who's the president and CEO of the Aquarium of the Pacific in Long Beach. And uh, Dr. Schubel, we've already mentioned that sea levels have already risen that we can measure. Yeah, absolutely. Now, this whole thing started at the end of the last ice age. Sea level's been rising for a long time. But in, in the last few hundred years, the rate of sea level rise has increased, and, and it's the, the rate of increase that, that is causing the issue, and then storm surges superimposed upon a higher sea. And it isn't just uh, buildings and, and uh, commercial development that's at risk. When you look at all of the infrastructure we have here in Southern California, <clears throat> excuse me, highways, railways, um, 
Highway 1, 101, 5, treatment plants, power plants, all of these are in harm's way. And we have this interesting phenomenon that people continue to move toward the coast while the sea is rising to come and greet us. And that's the, the, what we have to deal with. And it isn't just people. Nature is also at risk, particularly wetlands. In Southern California, we've eliminated 90% of our wetlands by filling and draining and filling for development. And what's left can keep pace with the rising sea in only one of two ways. They can either build vertically to keep pace, or they can move laterally and move inland. To build vertically, they need sediment. We've cut off most of the sediment by building dams and by also by protecting our cliffs. And to move laterally, they have to have a pathway. But we've blocked those pathways with all of our development. So humans are, are at risk. All of the, the development that we have along the coast and nature is at risk. And there are things that can be done that we should start thinking and acting seriously on. All right, let's uh, join in on the conversation. Dr. Reinhard Flick uh, at USC, PhD at USC, an oceanographer with the state of California, Scripps Institution of Oceanography. And uh, Dr. Flick, I know you've been listening to the, the stream, and did you want to add something to the conversation that you've been heard earlier? Yeah, I, I have been. And, of course, uh, Jerry is one of the best spokesmen for this. Uh, he's got all the facts at his fingertips. I absolutely agree with everything that he has said so far. Uh, I would add a few things, and one of them is to emphasize the importance of uh, the fact that uh, mean sea level is not actually what floods anything. Uh, of course, when flooding and coastal damage, to bring it back to California, uh, occur, it's when uh, storm waves, big waves, occur during periods of high tides. And the important thing to remember uh, as far as sea level, the importance of sea level rise in the future is concerned, uh, is that it will make uh, these severe storms uh, essentially more frequent. Uh, so, in other words, a 100-year flooding event uh, due to storms and coincidence of high tide might then, uh, with uh, an extra foot or two or three or six, uh, increase uh, in, in, uh, in frequency. So a 100-year event becomes a 50-year event, eventually becomes a 10-year event, eventually becomes a yearly event uh, because of the added sea level. So that's the first point I would make. Uh, and this is, the, you know, the, the, the uh, high tides and, and storm waves uh, occurring and the, the erosion and flooding, this is not uh, new to anybody. I mean, we're all familiar uh, who lived in California for any length of time uh, during these El Nino winters. We're all familiar with what the consequences are. And the point to remember is that these, these kinds of events will become much more frequent uh, as sea level goes up in the future. Um, the, uh, the professor from uh, the Carolinas make, uh, also makes an interesting uh, uh, point, and that is that uh, because of the steep relief of California, we have mostly cliffs, um, relatively few low-lying areas compared to the number of cliffs. Uh, Jerry made the point as far as Catalina is concerned. Uh, so California is much better off than many other parts of the world, including the East Coast and especially the Gulf Coast of the U.S., uh, as far as consequences of sea level rise.